Sorry, we did exactly the same thing as last week, which started at um, started at sideways. Right link now. Started at sideways, sideways, horizontal, thinking that that would be fine, yeah. and then for some reason the video had defaulted to vertical, which apparently is recommended when you're on the mobile phone, which is terrible unless you. But know, we yeah, doing one of those new social medias the kids do these days. Move this way a bit. <laughs> Me? <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. sounded. Uh, all right, so while I tweet all the links, do you want to <laughs> intro where we are? <laughs> why are we here? Um, well, why are we here? We're in Rome uh, after Paris and Venice. Did we do one? In no, so we did it from Paris. Paris, yeah, and then we kind of skipped Venice. So there was Venice in the middle, uh, and now we're in Rome for my final leg of Eurotour holiday. Uh, it was pretty funny, this guy like came up to us this morning in the restaurant there. Really nice kind of like waiter, concierge guy. And he's like, you are always working. <laughs> it's like, because we're there with the laptops at the breakfast tables, <clears throat> doing all the stuff. And he's like, you're on holiday. And like, yeah, we are on holiday. Um, but what did I, can I say what I said to him? Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's not for children. I was like, my <clears throat> boss is an asshole <laughs> and I have to do work while I'm here. So yeah, it is a holiday. We've had a you good few days. You yourself, weren't you? Yeah. I'm self-employed, so <laughs> I can say that. Um... But yeah, a few days in Rome now. We actually go to the... Oh, I go to the airport tomorrow. Are you going to the airport tomorrow? No. So no, okay. yeah, we're, we're here till, uh, till Tuesday when we go to Oslo. We should actually give give Oslo a pump and give London a pump. Yeah, right? okay. So, well, no more London. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Next update. Don't, don't, that's news to me. <laughs> Um, Don't mention London then. So yeah, um, tomorrow I fly to Oslo for NDC security. So I've got two days of Hack Yourself First workshop. Uh, which is Monday, Tuesday next week, and then you arrive Tuesday night for your keynote on Wednesday morning when the conference starts, and my talk is the first slot on Thursday morning. So I'm just going to call that day two keynote, um, even though it's not. But uh, yeah, oh, do you have to share your audience with other speakers. Yeah, yeah. What's that like? Getting kidding? Yeah, I hate. I was keynote last year, so I'll be uh, comparing the scores. Um, but yeah, it's really good. I really like NDC security. We were a little bit worried about the snow because Norway's had like a meter of snow in some yeah. parts. But did you see the news about Boeing this morning? No, that's fine. So Boeing have had to ground like a whole section of their fleet today um, because the window fell out of an airplane in America. <laughs> I don't think they meant to do that. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even like the emergency door yeah. window. You know, it's not. It, it's it's a non-removable window that fell out. Um, <laughs> Evidently not comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was looking at it this morning, and I was like, "Gee, I wonder like what." So I was looking at like what type of aircraft was it? And, yeah. Like, is it going to impact us? Because we're flying tomorrow. Yeah. My wife's flying home with our son tomorrow. You're flying to. Um, Oslo oh, you're going to straight Munich. to Oslo by well, Munich. Well, we've got to get by Munich, so we've, we've got to get two flights as well. And also, I mean, that's that's Lufthansa, and I think they do two flights a day. Well, maybe it's two flights. Yeah, but if it's two flights a day with the same type of airplane, it's zero know, flights a day. <laughs> Well, maybe you will be doing a keynote at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was just like, sheesh, that's not good. Um, I watched a few of the social media videos on on the various socials. And, like, yeah, literally, like, when, you know, there's, like, the window and, I guess, you know, some panel mm. behind it. And it's just like, see you later. Okay. Um, All right. That'll, that'll be what it will be. That's, I, I'm over worrying about yep. it. Yep. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, let me do the sponsor thing and then we'll jump into other stuff because we do have a bunch of content. Um, some things I haven't spoken to you about because I want candid opinions from you and some things no. you've never spoken publicly about, which is actually really cool. Yes. So um, just uh, for people joining in here, who have we got here? Cam Fly from Switzerland. I think we flew over there the other day. Gordon Beaming's here. Joe from uh, <laughs> from a very rainy part of the UK. Is that like... The UK. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just call that the UK. To be fair, it's raining in Rome right now. All right. Yes, it is. So, uh, sponsor again this week <clears throat> is Clyde, uh, a massive sp- uh, sponsorship run from Clyde. Uh, this is actually the first one of 2024, isn't it? The first yeah. week of 2024. Yeah. <laughs> first sponsorship slot of 2024. Unpatched devices keeping up at night. Clyde can put your entire fleet, can get your entire fleet. Update in days, device trust for Okta, watch the demo. Uh, and, and look, I think we have a lot of the same audience come here each mm. week. Certainly the people that are, that are live, so I, I appreciate that um, that I do repeat the message from sponsors a lot. But there are a lot of people who watch this offline uh, based on the on the stats I'll see later on. And of course, a lot of people that then download the podcast as well. So uh, I guess a little bit about repeat for everyone. Challenges of implementing device trust with Okta. I'm sure 2024 will be fine. We won't have these problems. Yeah. <laughs> we solved the cyber. Um, how Collide integrates with Doctor to keep untrusted devices from accessing your company's apps and how end-user remediation removes the IT bottleneck that often derails zero-trust initiatives. Please go and check out Collide. You will see a lot more of them in 2024 as you did in 2023 and years earlier. Now, uh, moving on to the business end of things. So... I had a few things on my, my list today, and one thing that popped up this week, and it seemed to have got a, a bit of traction, was that the 23andMe situation. So you see what happened to them a couple of months ago? Yeah, it was um, password reuse, and boatloads of accounts were accessed with... Are you blaming the user? No, I'm just telling you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that one, right? You like shouldn't a... have gone out there wearing those passwords, because <laughs> like that's the that's the analogy that people draw. Um, and <clears throat> to, be, to be honest, I don't think... Uh, 23andMe PR has really done themselves any favors here. Like if, if we, the, the, the problem is it was password reuse, which <clears throat> you might look at and go, okay, well, out of the total, total corpus of your user base, uh, if there's password reuse and credential stuffing attacks, let's say for argument's sake, maybe it's 20% of the user base that has a, a problem with their account, which would be bad, but it's 20%. What made it worse for 23andMe is by design, the organization is meant to connect you with other people. And if one person gets their accounts owned, but they can see the data of other people, well, then your total Mm. scope of impact is actually broader. So that's the nature of the, like, I don't know how you solve that problem in terms of, where's my line? Where's my coffee? In terms of how, uh, how you solve that problem if your system is designed to connect you to other people and show you personal attributes for other people. I mean, that's, by design, one person's compromise needs to be multiple people's compromise. And I know that data is slightly different, but mm. it's going to be similar for like Facebook or other social medias, right? Like if you get into your account, <laughs> I might true. be able to see yep. things about you yep. that you don't have publicly on your profile. Like or a, a, another or something. another analogy I can think of: there was a, a breach that I couldn't have a been poem from a, a service called it was like Covevi or Covi, which was it was a weird name, but. There was a contact management application and it would synchronize people's contacts from their device up into the cloud. I was in that data breach, not because I ever used the service, but someone that I had met in Salt Lake City <laughs> used 
obviously put me in their contact list, use that service, was in the data breach, and now my personal data is out there. So that the thing is that I can do absolutely everything right myself, but someone else who also, I guess, did everything right, but then it's like data on the cloud and it's in a breach, right? So in services like that, do they do they have to ask you before they put your details into like their their chosen contact management system? Like, but, how should that work? Well, do do you ever ask someone if it's okay to put their details in your contacts app? Well, if I ask them for their phone number, it's, it's kind of like it's going in my phone. But yeah. if I then go to like some other third party, like totally unrelated thing, which just like it, I assume it's it's an app. It says we'd like to access your contacts, and you say yes. Do you go through all your contacts and ask them permission before you do that? I don't let apps access my contacts. Actually, <laughs> like literally, I don't have like I, that's just the thing that I don't do. But you, you see the point. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's problematic. <clears throat> it's a rhetorical question because the answer is no. So you you wouldn't end up asking. People. No, yeah. Um, because you work on the expectation that the, the service that you're using is going to protect the data. So to bring it back on topic with 23andMe, part of the problem is by the design of the organization, a, an, a, an incident that impacts a small number of people becomes an incident that impacts a large number of people. And then we get back to the old chestnut of, well, it's credential stuffing, it abuses password reuse, is it the fault of the service or is it the fault of the users? Now, a lot of the users mm-hmm. think it's the fault of the service because there's class actions flying around so fast it makes your head spin. But <laughs> you can imagine lawyers on the 23andMe side, like what are they going to say? It's the user's fault. It's the user's fault. So, like, easy, yeah. <laughs> this is what was in the news Easily. a couple of days ago. There's a story here from Lorenzo on, on TechCrunch. Uh, and the headline is 23andMe tells victims it's their fault that their data was breached. Now, was it that blunt? Or well, is that just the headline? I was, I was just going to say, this is. <laughs> I know Lorenzo pretty that's, well. That's pretty he's, direct. He's, he's, like, a, he's a good journo. Journos do write headlines that, that get attention. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, they're facing more than 30 lawsuits already. Jeez. From victims of the massive data breach. Even then, it's like, like, if that data turned up, yes, I'd put it in Have I Been Pwned? I'd treat it as a breach. But even then, it's like, it's a massive data breach where. Attackers just logged in with people's username and password. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so here's the here's the quote here um, from from who's a security researcher? Uh, where did I come from? One of the I oh know it's a lawyer, Hassan Zaviri, one of the lawyers representing the victims. Rather than acknowledge its role in this data security disaster, 23andMe has apparently decided to leave its customers out to dry while downplaying the seriousness of these events. Now, having said that. He's a lawyer. So now, you, now you've got... There's an angle. You've got 23andMe PR people, you've got journalist headline, and you've got class action lawyers. It's like, how... <laughs> We've got to kind of like cut through all the bullshit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I... Like we've discussed this before, I've discussed it many times, I've written about it before, about class actions and data breaches. I feel really uncomfortable with the premise of <clears throat> class actions after a data breach where there is no evidence of harm other than feelings of being hurt because it incentivizes everyone to jump on this bandwagon to beat a company down for something which really should be the, the job of the regulator, in, in my view. Regulators should come in and give you yeah. a great big penalty <clears throat> if you have been deficient in your security controls. Uh, which I agree, but it's just like then... It's just making money for the government and not the... It's like, you know, company gets fined, government gets money, I sit in the middle with nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like... 
Well, when you say you, you, you're with. putting yourself in the end user position, what, what, Correct. what, what would you want in order to make this better? I think the regulator should do the, the governing of the fines and the processes, and but yeah. then somehow distribute something to the impacted people. But yeah, free identity that, theft protection. <laughs> yeah, I've got about 12 of those now. But that's the bit that, that doesn't sit right with me. You know, it's like company loses the money, government gets the money, person in the middle who's actually affected just is like piggy in the middle, right? It's like, ooh, just... Well, I'll tell you what, like, let's, let's read what 23andMe has actually said. <clears throat> so... Uh, it says here, in a letter sent to a group of hundreds, inevitably plaintiffs in this case, hundreds of uh, 23andMe users who are now suing the company, 23andMe said that, and this is their quote, users negligently... <laughs> okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a good start. <laughs> but, it, like, again, keep in mind... I'm just trying to put this without <clears throat> giving anything away. Uh, keep in mind that there there will be lawyers and PR people on the 23andMe side whose sole oh, job okay. is to reduce the damage yeah. or reduce the impact on the organisation. Like that's their job. So they've got to say that for. So that they've got to say that. Okay. Users negligently recycled and failed to update their passwords following these past security incidents, which are unrelated to 23andMe. Now, of course, what they're referring to is other data breaches where people reuse the same passwords. Now, mind you, in the defence of the user, you don't always know if your data has been obtained from somewhere else. You don't know if you've entered it into a phishing site. You don't know if you've entered it into a website that's been breached and not disclosed. Well, so the, 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 the negligence, which I will agree with, because we talk about this ad nauseum in this industry, the negligence was the reusing of the password. F full stop. It, it wasn't yeah, the... Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm using this password, and now I've observed it in another breach. I'll stop using it on others. Like, that's not the... It's just not the way it works. Yeah. Anyway, they're gone. <clears throat> Therefore, the incident was not a result of 23andMe's alleged failure to maintain reasonable security measures. Now, very objectively, I would argue, and I have argued many times, that this is a shared responsibility. Yeah. That it is not... I just hate these absolute arguments where it's like, absolutely everybody here is to blame and everyone here is innocent, or, or the yeah. other way around. As we've said so many times, whether it's this sort of thing or some of the more contentious things happening in our industry at the moment... The, the two extreme ends of the scale are normally wrong and, and the, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I think the reality of it here is that we know people shouldn't reuse their passwords. I do think that they have to wear some blame for reusing their passwords. And also, we know that organisations need to be much more resilient in the way that they actually allow people to create passwords and the way they defend against credential stuffing attacks. Now, I know that in cases like this, very often websites allow atrociously bad passwords. Yeah, and this is kind of the <clears throat> the balance point, isn't it, though? But how many of those customers that were impacted and had their accounts breached do you think, no, I shouldn't reuse my passwords across? Like, what do we think the, the level of penetration of that education is? Uh, I, I would say, if you were to take that entire group and say, <laughs> it's, it's a binary poll. Should you reuse the same password across multiple sites? Yes or no? Oh, if you angle the question like that, everybody's going to say no because no, the, the question that, is leading no. the answer. But, okay, but I don't think anyone out there creating accounts online today is, is ever... Like if you're like, okay, what are, you, what are you meant to do with your passwords? You have the same one you use it every... Everyone feels guilty about but it. But you know how many people I speak to that still do that? Oh, no, I know. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. 90%. <laughs> but, but this is the thing. It's, it, they feel guilty because every time you have this discussion with someone... Like I do, um, back in Australia, I do this uh, radio show every Monday morning. So I go in the studio every Monday morning. We have this discussion. People call in and you know, cyber this and that. 
and, and the the host of it, who, who's who's lovely, every time we have this discussion about passwords, she's like, I know I shouldn't reuse them when I'm getting it. <laughs> and I've sent her the one password. I've said, come over to my place one day for coffee. Also, I'll, I'll give you a cyber tune-up. Like, we'll fix all of your cyber things. Cyber we'll make it all right. And I know she still reuses the passwords. And every time she feels guilty about it because she knows she shouldn't do it either. It, like, and we go through this. So <clears throat> I like the two big people in my life because I always find it's like immediate friends and family. Yeah. My sister, who's younger than me, and is like way more social media savvy. And unfortunately, like recently lost control of her Instagram account. And like, that's a nightmare. If you have, and it's a, she does a business through it and everything else. And we had this whole like was a discussion about driving yesterday. Like the Instagram account ran off the road on its own. <laughs> We're going to have to add more context to that because that won't make any sense. There was a, a story in the news yesterday um, where Scott was like, what's wrong with this headline? And the headline was basically like, um, car loses control and flips over on roof. And he's like, what's wrong with this headline? We were asking the kids. And he's like, the car didn't lose control. It's like the driver lost yeah. control. It's like the car was never in control. It was always the driver. So anyway, but I think you put that right. So your, your sister lost control of her account. Yeah, and... You know, and it was such a nightmare to get back. It's her. It's also got her business account tied to her personal one, so she can just like yeah. flip between them. So she loses that, and then that's where she gets a lot of her business from. And mm. and you know, just obviously, I have no evidence, but basically, it's because I know that she's used the same password yep. across multiple mm. things. Um, but also, my wife's parents. And then are, she didn't have two FA. No, which she does now. Uh, <laughs> because people don't listen to me. And they're like, oh, it's Scott, you know, moaning about the cybersecurities and blah, 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 blah. And then they get pwned. And then they're yeah. like, so tell me about all of those cybersecurity things. <laughs> like, and, it, and it's like, I really wish that they would just until, until listen a bit matters. more. Yeah, people don't care until it matters. All right. So, uh, and, and look, along those lines, um, because this, this got a lot of traction, um, in fact, uh, I'm going to find this tweet because I really like the way she put it. Uh, <coughs> Rachel Toback. Hacker and CEO uh, from Social Proof Sec. Uh, I feel like I know Rachel. It's one of, you know how we meet so many people in our yeah. line of work. But she uh, she quote tweeted this uh, 23 meeting the other day. She said, I'd love to see orgs take ownership of the behavior allowed on their site. Rather than blaming users for poor passwords, one great option for orgs is to integrate have I been pwned to alert users if the password's been compromised and shouldn't slash can't be used on the site. Uh, which is kind of interesting because... First of all, I agree. <laughs> so I use, and this is like the free pwned passwords thing, right? So go and use that because it's it's just an absolute no-brainer. Um, a few people picked that up though, and got a little bit uppity about well, if you if you block all bad passwords, you end up having no passwords left because there's five billion people. And I'm like, even with a terrible character space like that, this, this is the thing. It's like you don't do a lot of maths, do you? <laughs> um, but. There is then the that, that sort of UX discussion, right? Now, I saw um, Casey Ellis. Have you met Casey? Not Matt, but no. But, you know. Yeah. Anyway, Casey Ellis, fellow Aussie, founder of Bud Crowd. Uh, very smart guy. Done very, very well uh, with, uh, with Bud Crowd. G'day, Casey. He said, um, read the 23andMe, caveat emptor defense. I'm hoping it normalizes password reuse warnings and baseline enforcement of MFA for precious, sensitive, or high-impact data as an issue of corporate social responsibility, which which I think is, is a fair comment uh, in terms of, of normalizing the reuse warnings, etc. The MFA bit is kind of interesting because he then goes on and says, designing consumer systems that rely on baseline security ex expertise for high user security is fragile. Uh, 
Uh, FinServ learned this a long time ago. Make security easy and insecure obvious. Is anti-fragile and for better or worse, uh, where's the bit I actually want here? Oh, this is a bit. This is where he's me in. He said, he's responding to someone. He says, um, I like the idea of blocking based on reuse is still a pretty, I think he's typoed this. He says, the idea of blocking based on reuse is a pretty horrible UX. But he's also saying make MFA baseline requirement. Now, MFA is a pretty mm. horrible UX. <laughs> like, it is. Yeah, MFA yeah. is terrible. Yeah. I mean, I have my little security key here and the fingerprint for Windows Hello. And I mean, I, I... There's multiple problems with that, isn't there? And, and, of course, there's multiple ways of doing MFA. We use security keys a lot. I travel with the key. I have another key at home. But the number of times we've been on this trip and I've needed to log in somewhere and the key's like up in the room or something like that. And so, oh man, I'll find the key now. And then it's like, well, was I using a pass key or was I using the security key? Uh, the pass key is tied to the other device. So, but I'm not on that device now, but I can scan the QR code with that device. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even if it's just SMS, well then there's that, that friction there. And then if it's, if it's an authenticator <coughs> app, well then you, Replace your phone and lose your tokens because oh. not all of them have always synced. Number um, one support ticket on report your own. Like, so the point is, is that every one of these mechanisms is a bad UX. Yeah, uh, a good UX is when you, of your own free volition, go and get a password manager and you use it everywhere. But of course, that's something that you need to do, and it's not something that the site itself has to implement. So, point is, I think to summarise the whole thing, it's. It is bad messaging from 23andMe done by lawyers trying to protect the organization, which is the norm. And there is some truth in the claim that users are to blame because they do have a, a, a part part to be blamed there, there. But like no one's ever... So I blogged that we implemented Palm Passwords API checks and we do ZX CVBN scoring. I've never had anyone like complain about it. You do also have a very technical audience because for sure, your eyes used yeah. by developers. Yeah, and and like that's something that we acknowledge. We have an exceptionally high usage of two FA as well. Um, what sort of percentage? Do you share that? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, so last because uh, Michal yeah. like runs that little poll kind of thing. <clears throat> last time I checked, we were like thirty six percent of our users have two FA enabled. But isn't it interesting that like a third is considered an exceptionally high number of a of a oh, very yeah. tech centric audience? When you look at um, like the other services that he's polled, it's like wow, that's it's exceptionally high. Our oh. services don't get outside of single digits. Nah. And then low single digits in many cases. Who was it that gave a discount for uh, 2FA? I think MailChimp used to do that and then they dropped it. Yeah. Which is a shame. And like, so one of the big things that helped us is we have the ability for a team owner to enforce 2FA to access team yep. data. So like one person in a company can enable that and then force yep. like 50 people to turn it on. So I think that helps as well. Just looking at the comments for a go on the next thing. Uh, Francis from a dry part of Scotland. Is he inside? <laughs> he must be inside. <laughs> He's inside. Um, Mike's in Eindhoven uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, Joshua Goldcoaster. Didn't know you are on the radio show. What's the station? Love to listen to. ABC Radio, Gold Coast ABC Radio. We used to do it at 10 o'clock every Monday morning. Apparently, we're going to be doing it at 9 o'clock every Monday morning when we get home. It's about 9.05, 9.10 after the news. Uh, so tune in. It's, it's the, the one we do with Sarah Cummings. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> jump in onto that, Joshua. Uh, Mike says, don't give up hope. Managed to get my parents set up for one password after way too long trying over the Christmas break. 
Christmas break is like the family tech support holiday <laughs> of the year. That's um, all I ever end up doing. Team up nine seventy seven. Gents, what's your favourite video games growing up? Go on, date yourself. Uh, Half Life. No. So you must have been what? older. Well, you're assuming I've grown up. <laughs> well, there's that. Um, well, actually, if, if you want to go back to that, I mean, being born in the second half of the 70s, the early bit of the second half of the 70s, uh, it, it, was like, it would have been Doom. So that, that's yeah. the, the big one I remember in probably my final years of high school. Mine was Halo. Like the original genre yeah. setting, first Xbox with the, the crazy, ridiculous big controller. Yeah, that was good. That was mine. KD says, hey, just wondering where you get your DB dumps from. Uh, epically hard to get one, <laughs> like Domino's India. Almost everything is sent to me. Um, people, I mean, I'm obviously not going to show this to the public, but Scott, like if you look back through all of these, are like dump data, here's this data, here's this data, here's this data, and I've just got an inbox. Huge zip files. And, and that, yeah, well, I mean, but they're the small ones, right? Because most of the big stuff. They like fit in an inbox. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, look, it's it's people that support the project, and have I been playing? It's been going more than a decade now, and it was after only the first few weeks people just started popping up, and they're like, "Hey, here's all this data." All right, so uh, another topic. Now, I didn't brief you on this because I, I I've got a, a couple of support tickets related to this, and I think it's it's a good question for you, and also a good question for the audience out there as well. There, there is a feature in Have I Been Pwned opt out, so you okay. can go to the opt out, you put in your email address. You get a link sent to you, secret token, yada, yada, yada. You click that and then you go to the opt-out page. And then you can either say, I just don't want to be publicly searchable or remove all my data and then don't add any new breaches against this email address. But obviously, we have to keep your email address in order to do that. Oh, yeah. Or just delete everything you have. But then if I'm in a breach later on, well, then, you know. So basically, you've got three different So you options. pop up again in the future. And in fact, this was one of the things that John Elliott, our friend who does all the privacy stuff in, in the EU, suggested. He said, look, you know, give, don't just do an opt-out, which is what I did before. It's like give people more control. And this is like the most control yeah. I can give people. I've had a couple of tickets recently from people who said, I'd like to opt-out my email address, but I no longer have control of it because I've shut it down. Please delete the data. But that's like, so if I rephrase that, it's like, please let me take control of this thing that I can't demonstrate control over. Well, in a way, it'd be a little bit different if it was, say, report URI and someone is like, please give me access via this email address that I can't demonstrate control of because then you open up something to them. In this case, they're saying, I just want to remove that data from public searchability. So I think out of the three options, that would be the only one that I would be comfortable giving them because the other two have a potentially negative impact on the person that does control it. And, and Because but, the, option two and three involve deleting data. Option one is just... Yeah, flagging it as not searchable. Yeah. Well, okay, so that, that's, that's a good half measure. But extend that further and, and let's look at it through a privacy lens. And, and also, I don't care what part of the world that you're you're in like that the, 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 the privacy premise is really the same everywhere and that people should have control of their own information so if you look at it through that lens and say well this person uh let, let's assume they're legitimate and they're not having it on because this is one okay. of the concerns right yeah because if anyone can pop up and say i don't control this address but please do something to it then that's then a problem game over um 
So if someone genuinely does control that, I'll rephrase it. If that genuinely was someone's email address and that is genuinely their personal data, then at least in theory, they should be able to control it. They should be able to say, I no longer want you to have it. Uh, yeah, that's the part I agree with. The, I guess the, the, the problem is how do you... How do you prove it? Yeah, like how do you go about that in a way that doesn't open it up for abuse? I mean, I was even thinking like, do I just... Do I reply to these? They've got two tickets at the moment on this. Uh, and if I'm honest, because we're traveling as well, it's like, look, I'll, ju I'll just sit on it and maybe they'll forget about it. And it <laughs> yeah. But what, one of them has followed up. And the last thing I want to do is like not take a request related to privacy seriously as well. Um, so I did give him a reply, but I almost sort of thought, maybe I'll just reply and say, sure, I just need you to give me some evidence or proof that this was your email address and then just see what happens. But I don't, I don't know what they could give me that would be satisfactory. How can you mm. prove that an email Another Another yours? way we could do it is I could just email that address and say, hi, we've had a request to hide this data. Um, but, but what are the chances that someone as... would just ignore that or it yeah. might go to spam? Or... <clears throat> you know, I get those emails all the time when it's like, oh, someone's trying to reset access to your account. You know, like if this wasn't you, just ignore this e email and... It yeah. feels like it'd fall into that category of something that I might just be like, meh, if I ignore, oh, well, this is the problem, right? Like, they should think, if I ignore this email, nothing bad will happen. Hmm. So if you email them and then they ignore it, you can't take that as a positive no. signal. <clears throat> I mean, the, the other option is, is that it, it's so rare that this happens. Let, let's say it's half a dozen times a year or something. Do I just do what they want and make the problem go away? <laughs> I think if you were to do just the first option... Because then if somebody does legitimately control that address now, mm. apart from them being not publicly searchable, they can still go and understand their impact in have I been pwned. And the thing is, is like obviously that doesn't remove the person from the data breaches. The data's still out there floating around. They can't go to all the popular data breach forums. Well, there must be some... Well, so what does GDPR say on this? Like what... what you know, and I, I hate to defer to GDPR, but what is your right in this circumstance... Like if, officially, if you, if you can't prove it's your data, yeah, I don't know. I don't like know. I'm pretty sure under GDPR you can't. Hmm, that'd be that, interesting. That, that might be a good question for John, actually. Yeah. All right. If you have any ideas, <laughs> no, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I we're currently debugging in production, aren't we? We're like... silent on this in the chat, but if you watch <laughs> this or listen to it later on, and you have ideas about how to do this, you know, if, like flick me a note, send me a DM or something like that, because it's, I, yeah, I don't want something that can be abused. I want to also respect people's privacy and then I also don't want to open up the floodgates to send us a pain in the ass. Yeah, you don't want to open yourself up to that for sure. All right. Tmock977 says, I'm getting the world of Linux, can't believe how much amazing free software there is out there that costs free and open source. Why do so many people make free software for no dollar reward? Well, why did we make free software? Well, yeah, that's just insane. <laughs> why did you make report? Let, your let right? me open a few websites yeah. that are free. Security <laughs> headers. It's, it scratches an itch, doesn't it? Yeah. It's fun. But yeah, what? I mean, it was before it became a job and a responsibility. Yeah, but now you get paid for it. <clears throat> yeah, which is the bit that kills the fun and adds the responsibility. Well, yeah, but you still have fun, don't you? No, I do, to be fair. Um, uh, I, I, I think nice. for a lot of people, yeah, it's, it, it does scratch an itch. I mean, I started Have I Been Pwned because I thought it would be a fun project. Um, and, you know, now it, it is by probably every definition of the term a, a job. Uh, but 
you know, I, I did it for fun. But a lot of free and open source software will go through that evolution where it might pass hands because it was fun for someone for a while and then they have responsibilities or it might morph into something which does become commercial in one sense or another, like both have been A lot of it is commercial as well as being open source, right? Like yep. It's, yep. They're not exclusive, are they? Uh, Luke says, thanks for the opt-out info. Going to take a look, never knew about it. Oh, yeah, it's in like about opt-out. It's, uh, it's very easy to find. All right, so the, the last one we had here was one from you, which I think involves Joe as well, right? Yes. All right, so give us the whole pitch because this is quite <coughs> amusing. Wow. So one of my other free projects uh, that I have, Why uh, which is... Why free, man? I know. I should, uh, <laughs> I should charge money for this. So I have this, pro- this project called Crawler.Ninja, which is the domain. And I scan the top of a million sites every day and analyze a whole different bunch of stuff about their security. And I publish all, I publish like a daily analysis every day, which is very lightweight. And kind of like every six to 12 months, I do a report on how well have we progressed. Mm. And I'm speaking to kind of um, somebody who I made the acquaintance with uh, called Joe at a few conferences and chatted online. And I always have loads of ideas on the back burner. I'm sure you're the same. It's like, you know, you've got the, the things that you do day to day. And then there's like 27 project ideas in now this the back is this of the Joe, list. Right? Yeah, Joe Tiedemann. Joe, who's on here. So, hey, Joe. Um, and it was like, you know, what else can we do? Because there's a whole bunch of data. Is there any more analysis? Like, what cool thing could we do? And I was like, well, I have this idea. And we'll scan the top one million websites, do a little bit more thorough analysis, and look at all of the third-party dependencies that they're pulling, which is one of the things that I wasn't doing. So we can list out, like, where are they loading images from? Where are they loading JavaScript and styles? And... You know, we we had to keep it kind of lightweight because it's super resource intensive to like spin up headless Chromium, visit, you know, like 80 pages, a maximum of five links deep, don't go off the site and then pull the list of dependencies that we observed. And I was like, well, we can run them through the report your threat intelligence feeds to look at if they're not like the JavaScript mm. domains is like, are they known to be involved with malware or, you know, mage cart skimmers or whatever? And maybe we could find sites loading known malicious JavaScript. And we started hitting an error with a few things where it was like, oh, you know, like we're having some kind of problem, like looking up the domain. And and I was like, oh, the domain isn't registered, like which would explain why we're having errors <laughs> looking it up. And I was like, wait, the domain isn't registered. Quick, go register the domains. <laughs> so we started registering these domains. And then of course, like once you spin it up and start hosting it, you can look at how many requests are coming in and we can try and catch things like the referrers to find other sites that are loading JavaScript from there that weren't in the top million list. So then we ended up finding even more things. And wow, did we get JavaScript in some interesting places. So, so not only are you doing this as a free project, but you're paying for domains. We are, yeah, like we now, own, we now own domains <laughs> that we don't need or want. Uh, so this was... So this is going to be the first time you've ever disclosed this publicly. Correct. So okay, drum roll. One of the well, so I'll tell you about the first one because this is fixed. So the first one was a Shopify domain for one of their plugins, and the domain had expired and hadn't been renewed. And we caught this, and uh, well, I say we caught this. Joe caught this, and Joe bought it. And it was, and Joe's in the chat, so he can correct me. But there were like hundreds of Shopify sites that we were seeing loading this JavaScript, and and like most sites, they load the JavaScript across the whole site, right? So uh, if you go to cart, that's the most interesting. Oh, one. okay, yeah, okay, gotcha. Uh, the, you... the, the the padlock icon, yeah. the handbag icon. <laughs> so yeah, there's like hundreds and hundreds of sites loading our JavaScript, and like most JavaScript, oh, yeah. it's on Jeez. all pages. Um, 
So for those ones, it was kind of easy because we reached out to Shopify and they were really, really good. Um, you know, like they were quick to respond. Uh, <laughs> they were really quick to respond. They pulled the JavaScript, obviously, because this is Shopify sites that they obviously control or manage. I'm not really sure how it works. So they could pull the script tags off the sites really, really fast. And then we mm. like, saw the graph flatline. There's still an element of people loading JavaScript, and we've gone past what we feel like is a reasonable caching period for anything now. So there are still sites out there loading our JavaScript. So we, we got like hundreds and hundreds of sites to remove the tag really quickly. Uh, Shopify paid us a really nice bounty for that. I don't know if I told you we got a, a quite a... pay for the domains. Uh, yeah, well, it definitely pays for the domains. Um, but then there's ones like this one. So this is the first time that we've spoken about this. I have tweeted the organization, you know, going back to like November last year. So we, um, so it's Capelli Sport. So we, I'm going to drop this in the chat so people listening to this can go and can go do it live. Go and have a look at it now. So you know, we found this, and they're loading the JavaScript throughout their entire site, all the way through the shopping cart to into the checkout process. Now, the only page that we aren't running the JS is on the payment page, thank goodness. But like, we can hijack that process super super early on. And we emailed like every email address we could find. Joe went and found the names of people that work there and like figured out their email format to email them. They didn't answer us. I've sent like DMs on every social media platform. We've, in the end, just like run out of options. I've tweeted them publicly and they've still not replied. And I've raised support tickets and they're like, you know, to please give us your order number. I was like, no, I, don't, I haven't ordered any shoes. I just, I can't give them this. So now we've gone, <laughs> we've gone to the next level. So if anyone looks at the link that Troy just sent in the chat, go if you go to that page, the like, console. that's their shopping cart, open the console, and you can see that we're clearly running JavaScript in the, the cart, in the checkout process. So now what could you do with JavaScript on a well, web page? And this is the thing, right? Like this is why we keep trying to impress on these organizations, like how serious this is. It's yeah. like you're loading arbitrary JavaScript. So we now have these, we've now got to the point of popping console error messages because so for people driving their car at the moment, listen to this, what does it, uh, <laughs> read the messages. So this is what is in the console of the cart of capellisport.com. So yeah, it, you know, trying to be helpful, capellisport.info, which is the domain has been registered for security. It does not belong to Capelli. It's controlled by security reachers, Scott Helm and Joe Tiedemann. Um, it could be used to inject malware or steal customer data like credentials or payment card data, but we are attempting to responsibly disclose to the impacted organizations please reach out to security at scotthelm.co.uk for details. So we felt like this was the next least impactful thing that we could do to try and notify people. And now that we've we've done this video, maybe just to, to try and get maximum reach, when we get into next week and we're during the week, I'll, I'll give this a tweet and see if, I'll ask if anyone has a security contact at. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, I, you know, if people check through my Twitter, I'm pretty sure it was the end of November when or maybe the start of December. And remember, like when I sent the tweet, we'd already exhausted like all of the emails mm. and DMs and you know, so this is like we're trying to be as responsible as possible in terms of ratcheting up the the impact. Yeah. Um and I you know, like some people might get mad that we're popping <laughs> console messages. Um now, so someone here had a suggestion, which is exactly what I was thinking. Thanks, uh John forty six thirty four. What do you do next when they don't respond? Well, I own this domain called coinhive.com. <laughs> this is a conversation that Joe and I have had a few times. It's like, when are, when are we at coinhive levels of, you know, of impact? But um, 
the, the, the thing is, is that you could get their attention because you, oh, could, yeah. you could easily... Turn easily the website just, off. Well, turn okay. off, rewrite the DOM. You can put whatever you want on that page. And it, that the problem is, is that if, if you get to the point of defacement, that's... Yeah, and this is why we're trying to take these, like, you know, these... Look, like, we want to take really small impact steps, but at the same time, you know, like, we're finding more... And there are still, you know, this isn't the only one. This is just one of the big ones, right? Yep. So there's still like tens of other sites. Joe can yep. correct me in the chat again, but we're still seeing, even on the Shopify ones, we're still seeing sites loading them. And it's like, come on, like we. Where's Capelli Sport based? Um, so I think they were headquartered in New York, if I remember correctly. Um, it's really too late in the day. But like when I came here, they're like, hey, you're in Italy. Do you want to change to like shipping to Italy? So I guess they work, um, you know, I guess they're a global e com. Yeah. It's 3 a.m. in the morning, New York, Saturday morning. So. Is there anyone in New York? Um, <laughs> yeah, no. It's, uh, 9 a.m. tomorrow? Can you remind us when we're in Oslo next week? Let's uh, let's tweet that out. I'm just reading Joe's comment here. Joe said, it's uh, this is my first journey in responsible disclosure, and it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> we started with Capelli in November and had utter silence, bar automatic responses. So it was November. Uh, he says, putting the responsible in disclosure. It's... I mean, I have to go through this all the time with, with Have a Van Pine Breaches as well. And, and unfortunately, I often get to the point where it's like, I'm trying to disclose before I load, you know, like 20 million of your email addresses into this service and they get all these emails get sent and then you will know about it. Yeah. And I, I just get to the point where it's like, look, I exhaust it, like every sort of reasonable measure and reasonable, obviously, is something that is a bit subjective. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to move forward with this and you'll, you'll know about it. But in, yeah. I mean, your situation is, is a little bit different, but I reckon we, if we get some tweets out on that next week and ask for security contact there, uh, I'm kind of curious now, as you get more and more public about it, how long does it take for them to do anything? Yeah, it will, because this is the first time. I, and, you know, obviously I've tweeted them. And Why do you just like disable the submit button? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like, but this is the thing, right? Like, I never want to be in a position where... But then, so it's kind of like the password thing earlier, right? It's like, where do we place the blame for that? You know, if I was to do something, and we've been super careful with our yeah. JavaScript to like yeah. not break anything, not have any impact. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's like if we did accidentally break something, would it be their fault or my fault? Uh, it'd be your fault. But they're loading my JavaScript. <laughs> what if I put a terms and conditions in the JavaScript? <laughs> like, have they automatically accepted? You know, what it's if like, you just update their terms and conditions? <laughs> I just think it's wild. That Put some like Herod clauses in there. You know, is it like by purchasing here, you agree to donate your first child to Scott Helm. So, do you remember when someone did that? Was it like F Secure or someone? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was they cool. had the Herod clause where they, they walked around and like, oh no, so in order to use this Wi Fi network, you have to donate your first child. And then they just walk up to people and go, okay, so where's the kid? <laughs> but yeah, like we've, we, we have been super careful. We've tried to be. You know, as responsible as we can, so that if any, you know, a lot of these companies are American and they're a little bit like too happy. Because <laughs> Joe just said, "How close can, uh, how close to the wind can we sail before someone sues?" <laughs> and, yeah. and in my mind, and this is go, where we Amer are, America. And then <laughs> like, and this is why we're both like treading on eggshells constantly. And you know, like we've added this now, and again, Joe, correct me, but I'm pretty sure that went in last year. And I was like, well, look, if one of their developers... Well, that was a week ago last year. If one of their developers, you know, happens upon the console or one of their customers yeah. or, or whatever, you know, it's slowly incrementing the level of, of push. And so far, um, I'm not going to jail. So I'm pretty happy with that. So if, if folks listen to this later on um, and you have suggestions about 
how to bring their attention. And I, I do think sort of the, the, the Twitter public call-out is the right next <clears> step. Um, but if you have ideas about how to get in touch with them, please let us know. And, and I, I do think you'd, you're both doing the right thing in terms of not uh, not actually doing anything destructive. Yeah, I think that's and, and when I when I say destructive, I don't necessarily mean doing things that you know, directly cost them money, but you, you're not popping an alert or anything like that. Yeah, it was it was the least impactful thing that we could think of was to just pop some console messages. It's going to be a good conference talk on this as well. <laughs> oh, seriously, because it, it, it's everything from like the craziness of oh, letting domains <laughs> letting domains lapse and uh, and being able to be registered by other people through to the difficulty of disclosure. And it's it's just nuts when you try so hard to do the right thing. But you know, also yeah. there's, there's a point at which you just walk away too, right? Like, let's say we do the whole tweet storm thing and we get nowhere there. Yeah, I mean, we own these domains now, and like maybe Joe can Joe if it's not like too much trouble. <laughs> but if you happen to have the stats handy in terms of like how many thousands of times the JavaScript's been loaded, because of course we can see. You know, even if we get like the minimal referral, which is the domain, it's enough to yep. start the process. But a lot of the sites give us like the full path, and it's like, okay, so forward slash car, forward slash checkout, like, uh oh, yep. you know, we're now running JavaScript in really sketchy locations, and it's just wild. The, the, the other thing that really struck me is like, why, like, how has no one else done this? That you know, because this is when we actually found that those domains weren't registered. I was speaking to Joe, and I was like. Wait, what? Like, how how are we the first people to find that? You know? You're the first people to find those ones. How many people have found other ones? Yeah. You know, like, I, I doubt that you're the first person to register a lapsed domain and do something that's Oh, no, for sure. But on, on the top one million sites loading JavaScript on a cart slash checkout page, like, yeah. that feels like yeah. Magecart have really missed a, yeah. a trick there, whoever Magecart are. All right, mate, I think we might wrap it up there. So we're, we're sort of done for this week. We'll be uh, heading off to Oslo. If you are coming to Oslo Security, uh, NDC, Oslo Security, NDC <laughs> Security, Oslo, come and, uh, come and say good day. Hopefully I'll be able to get on the plane and I'll be able to do that keynote yeah. uh, on, on Wednesday morning. And then we can do this again from Oslo on Friday. Yes, we will. Awesome. All right, folks, thanks for joining.